I didn't get an assignment, so um, I just picked. How are you there? <laughs> really? Don't worry, it's all going to be okay. How about um, try 136? How about that? Yes. Oh, that troublemaker? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's a nice boy, that gay egg. What a nice boy he is. Uh, okay, so the question is, how do you, this is a pre-question. We're going to do together 136, so you can find that. That's good. We're going to do 136 today, which actually is about love that endures forever, so maybe we'll get some more. But as an intro, how do you put together um, Psalm 100, verse 5, the Lord is good and his love is everlasting. How do you put that together with Exodus 20, where it says the sins of the, of the fathers will, will be visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation? So how do you put those two things together? Okay, good. Uh, yes, you can. Yeah. Oh, you're doing great. The, the thing is, I mean, this is a lot of fun. There's so much, you got so much going on here. Uh, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm writing them down so I don't forget. Because you got, you've opened up four windows on your computer screen there, uh, which is fantastic. Okay, um, wow. That, that's, this is exactly what you want to happen, which is you want people to think deeply. Okay, uh. Uh, hold on, because I'm not going to be able to remember all that. Okay, go, Karen. I can. I can do that. Krista Kaspari is who you want to talk to, and I can help you with that offline after class. Somebody to learn a little bit of German, so she can help you with that. How come I don't have a... Oof. Okay, this is going to be... Act of faith. That's all right. I like Carol. She's, you know, Carol's about as good as it can get. Um, yeah, hold hold on to that. Yeah. All right. Okay, so, all right. Well, that's all. That's all pretty good. Because you got to get this. This is a little bit what we're doing on Sunday as well. As you know, it's funny how everything. And it's actually what Pastor Nelson is doing on Thursday morning, and he's made the. The you know the ears twirl on the guys apparently on Thursday morning too, because I'll just I'll just sweeten it. He said, God never forgets your sins, and then they went into hard rebellion against that. So we'll have to um, we should talk about that today too, which has made me um, one of the great things about having smart young guys around is they make you rethink your stuff, which is always good. Okay, so. What a lot of stuff that's open. Okay, so first, let's just talk about the commandments. Okay, that might that might get us going in the right direction. So, um, 
how do you how do you how do you look at the commandments, Maddie? Friend or foe? I have a very quick response. Uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> she said friend, friend or foe? Yeah, they do. Good. <laughs> the church has been asking that question for centuries. It boils down to something like, uh, love God and serve your neighbor, Betty. We're at the, per, per, we're right now, it's 9.37, we're kind of at the love God point, but by 10.30 we're going to try to get to the serve your neighbor point, okay? I'm cleaning up Gainig's mess from last time. That's what I'm doing right now, and Nelson's too, for crying out loud. Okay, so I'm just, this is just a little, this is just kind of fun, okay? So you're free to sleep, uh, contribute, or something in between, whatever you want to do here. Don't you wish for nap time? Don't you wish it? Do you remember nap time? Yeah. You used to like roll your rug out in Mrs. Trimpey's room and. Okay. Now see, the thing is, is well, why we have to go there? Let's just remember the good part of nap time. You were gregarious, weren't you? You want to talk to the kid next to you? Yeah. What do you think? Poking the kid next to you, wanting to chatter. All right, here you go. <laughs> just friendly. Okay. Good. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. Good. Uh, now there was there was the curb. So oh, I'm gonna, I'm coming to you, Karen. I, I just I can't. I got I got. So. Uh, oh no, that wasn't. It was curb that. Uh, so then there was the curb over there that came from lease. Yes. Thank you very much. So rather than or, this should be an and. So that will be helpful as we go forward. Um, here's the thing. Where do the commandments come from? And I mean that at the deepest level. Did, did they just, they were sitting around Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they were just saying, hey, if we don't give them something to do, they'll do whatever they want, so let's, what's a good, ten's a good number. We'll just, you know, where does it come from? So this will tell you something. If you can answer the first question, then it might be easier to answer the rest of them. Where do the Ten Commandments come from? Okay, good. Now push that, because there's a bunch of ways to talk about from God. That means he just thought them up, they just wrote them out on a piece of paper because they had everything to do. They were really afraid that people would be, you know, stupid and fighting all the time. Like, where does it come? Where, so it does come from God, but why, where, how, please? <laughs> Wow. Thank you. No, I no. This is no. This is good because it pings all your pieces. Go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, before I come back around that way, somebody was in the corner over there, Lindsay. Good. Okay. So you actually can do this. That you can actually do this if you just get put a piece of paper down and just talk it through, please. Thank you very much. So I'm just going to write that under um, life, Ooh, which already came up over there. So everything that could possibly happen. Yes, please. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, good. Um, now, let's see. Oh, boy. Yeah. You have children. Human nature. 
I'm trying to, with your kids, okay, I see your kids about once a week. So here's what I'm trying to do with your kids. I see them about once a week as they're walking to school. I'm trying to have my collar on, my windows down, see your kids and have Jay-Z going full blast and just give them just a little bit of this and then just look over and wave at them in front of their friends. That's what I'm, I'm trying to, so I have this plan where I'm trying to put some cognitive dissonance on, the, on your kids. But I can't, but I haven't gotten it all. Sometimes it's, I, don't, it's, I don't haven't had all four things, all the pieces before the end of the year, though. That's my goal. My goal is to just, like, look over and just, and then just keep moving. I'm not saying, I won't say anything to them. I'm just, I have it in my mind. I, I see them in the same place almost every morning. I just can't. Go ahead. Fantastic. This is going to be one layer. This is going to be three layer. Okay, good. Really? <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. Oh, yeah, I was good. Yes, good. Right. Good. Right. Right, yes. So there's another voters meeting there somewhere. <laughs> and imagine the nepotism. Moses is head prophet and his brother Aaron is head priest. That means you could probably serve both on the PTL Okay, so tradition is one possibility. And then um, one possibility is written, but you're still missing one, but you just have to go earlier in your text. Go. Thank you very much. Now, um, I'm going to write this down so I don't forget later. Um, it is true that it was tradition before it was written, but before that it's on the heart. right? So that's Eden talk. Now, the God looking in the mirror part means... And now so we're going to run all the way back to you, which is, you remember that this isn't the word that's used. It's only, that's, only, that's only kind of shaky Americans who had to publish Bibles and have waved their finger people, get people in line. It isn't the Ten Commandments. It doesn't say that in the text. The text says they're the ten words. And they don't have an exclamation point. There's no exclamation point. There's just, he's just describing something. It's like describing the, the Grand Canyon. It's, it's really deep, and it's, the colors change. It's just, it's just telling you what normal life is for your English teachers. It, it's in the indicative. It's just, it's just telling you the normal way life is. Okay, now here's the thing. It's a description of what? It's a description of divine life. Or somebody else, somebody said human nature. That was very good because then you have, it's a description of the divine nature. This is not arbitrary in any sense. What happens in the Ten Commandments is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit tell you about themselves. Okay? You don't know anything unless he tells you. So you have this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, and I'll just say it, submission. The Father is submissive to the Son. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but they're united by love, and it's all in the way of the Gospel. So when they create you, and when they choose to love you, they wouldn't leave you, now, if you will, without a road map. They wouldn't leave you without a description of what it is to be fully human 
and to be fully a community. So you said Israel, and somebody else said, I can't remember where all this came from, it was so good, but somebody said to be fully human, and then somebody else said to be fully community, which is to be a covenantal people, okay? So at the deepest level, and that's the shorthand thing about looking in the mirror, at the deepest level, the ten words tell you about the divine Trinitarian life. They tell you how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live together. This is how they live together. This is what they do. They always love each other, and they're always in service to each other, and yet they do that. There's an order to it, and this is one of the great struggles of St. John. I mean, I, if I wish I'd known this 13 years ago, but the big struggle, the biggest struggle in St. John is, as the scriptures say, you are respecters of no men, which is, you think, as a congregation, it's every man for himself. And it was Kleinig's great thing where he said, if you don't understand that the world is ordered, um, God, humanity, Christ, church, man, woman, pastor, congregation, your life will always be a disaster. And that is probably the single most difficult thing here is because everybody, and it's a, it's a, I realize it's a trauma of who you are. You're smart, you're rich, you're accomplished, you're successful, and your little kids get to play more minutes on five-year-old soccer than other little five-year-olds. I mean, I understand that. And so therefore, you're smart about everything, right? In every situation, I have 800 people who are always the smartest people in the room. Every person is the smartest, richest person in the room, which means there's no respect for authority. In fact, when we hear that word, we already hear foe, not friend. Is this ringing any bell at all? Uh, go. Right, but hold on to that. They're not just completely figures of speech. They drain out that way in other situations. But first, so here's, the, here's how you solve that. First is, you let them be about God, and then you let them be about you. So for just a moment, just let them settle in to be about God. Let them be about the divine life, okay? You okay, Sil? Yes, please. Okay, good. So that means you need to have community. right? Yes, thank you very much. Here's the thing, and so, so here's how you, you know what's, here's the great thing about you all. You actually know all the pieces. All you need to do is just string them together. So here's the thing. If you say, what do I need to know about God? The first answer is Christ. Okay? So if you're good enough, you can pull everything you need to know out of Christ. To get a little help from that, you can say, I can pull everything I need to know out of the ten words, or the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ comes as the new Moses and embodies the Ten Commandments, or you can go to the next level and you can say, I can pull it out of all the words of Scripture. Make sense? That's, that's a huge, it's a huge argument. Well, okay, so, so the question is whether, whether he knew they were going to fall, so he gave them. But, but think about it. The answer is, we argue about that as pastors every week. That's the real answer. Yes. Right. So to... Exactly. Now here's the thing. To do that, I'm just now just bringing to the pastoral argument that we have almost every week, which is to do that, which is not an argument. This is like trying to figure things out that you can't quite figure out. Just kind of truncate your question short enough. He doesn't need to know 
that they're going to fall in order to tell them, right? You don't need to tell your kid, don't drive over the speed limit. You, you tell them that not because you know they're going to crash. You tell them that you tell them that because you love them. Uh, but not yet they don't. Adam and Eve don't yet have the disease. Yes, now. Yes, so, so this is why analogy fails a little bit, right? But, but think of Adam and Eve. There's no, there's no negative in them yet. So does he... So when he says, don't eat of the tree, you're exactly right. When he says, don't eat of the tree, is he telling them, is he their friend or their foe? Exactly, because he's telling them about the order or authority of creation. He's just telling them, see, not still in the indicative. He's just saying, hey, I'm God and you're human and that tree is for gods and that tree is for human and don't touch that tree. That will not go good for you because you're not a god. And if you touch that tree and try to be like a god, zzz, right. But that's, that's still a kindness. It's still a, it's still a blessing, right? Now, your second question is, did he do that because he knew they were going to fall? The real honest thing is, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Depends which day of the week. I mean, real honestly, it depends on which day of the week it is. You know, it, the, the question that goes with that was, was the second person of the Trinity always going to take flesh? So, for example, if Adam and Eve would not have fallen, would Jesus still have been born into flesh? It's a very interesting question that I don't know the answer to. It depends which day. It's actually, um, can I take, be honest with you? It's not frustrating at all. It is it's stretching in the best possible way. And it's how, how you think about the world. But, but back to this. Here's the thing. So back to, all the way back to looking in the mirror. This is how it is. It's like you, it's like you when you have kids. Um, you have kids, and you, with your wife, you know, or your husband, you know a certain amount of stuff. And to one of your kids, you can say, here's all the stuff I know. And they say, thank you very much. And to another one of you kids, you can say, this is all the stuff I know, and they say, I'm really too busy to talk to you right now. Right? That's how it is here. It's, it's how it is in the garden. It's how it is in Exodus 18, 20, and 24. It's how it is for us right now. So if, you, if he speaks to you and he says, we know a lot of stuff. Like, we know how, what's the first rule, what's the first thing that you learn in, uh, in your psychology class? What's the very first thing you learn? This is the very first thing you always learn, which is, if you have three, good, pretty close. If you, yeah, you do, lead, yeah, right, you do, it ego, super ego. Or the other thing you learn is, three is always a bad number. Why? If you have three people, you always have a problem. Why do you always have a problem? It's always two against one, right? That's the very first thing they teach you, right? Doesn't it strike you as odd that it's a holy trinity? That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit take the most difficult co possible combination for us and lives in holiness? Doesn't that strike you as mildly interesting? Why is that? So then you'd ask, why can't people ever live together? And the answer is, we don't pay attention. Yes, please. Sure, have the same color in all your rooms, too. Is that right? How did I go my whole life without knowing that? <laughs> Not 11 or 13. See, so greedy, a dozen roses is a ploy to get men in trouble. That's what you're saying to me? <laughs> a baker's dozen, yes. I never actually knew that. That's fascinating.
Hmm. Makes me wonder what, you know, colics are always prayed in odd numbers in the church. I don't know why. Nobody knows why. I've never met anybody who knows why. But in a proper, in a proper church, it's always 135, 11. It's always an odd number, always. If you, people pray in even numbers, they don't know what they're doing, kind of like when they buy two trees or 12 roses. <laughs> See? Okay, so I don't know if we got anywhere. Um, so, so what was, where was the, oh, I got it, I did actually, I wrote, I knew this would happen, so I went back and wrote the initial questions down. So, are the commandments your friend or your foe? Oh, we wanted to go back to his love endures forever versus he punishes kids to the third and fourth generation. Oh, and also Pastor Nelson's thing about whether, so here's the great Nelson inside of the week. This is, you can go home if you have a husband or, who goes to the Thursday morning men's Bible study, you can go home and comfort them now. So Pastor Nelson said, Great. He said to them, so God forgives, but he certainly doesn't forget. And of course, then they all got very crabby. Because, because what? Now they're remembering all the horrible things they've done, and they think that God is remembering the horrible things they've done, so they protested. In fact, he has people stand up and walk out of his class. I find this fascinating. People stand up and walk out when they don't like what they like. But I guess it's better than punching somebody in the nose. So, so here's the thing. So let me just put that question to you. Um, does God forget your sins? It, what would be the, what would be the why, why would you think that he does? Why would you think that he doesn't? Go ahead. Mrs. Nelson, this could I be special pleading. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, there you go. That's very interesting. Actually, that was very well done. You know what they talk about at dinner now. And then they said, and then I said, and then they said. If you ask me, if you ask me about a church, what do I say? What happened to, when you say, what happened to church, what, what do I say? Thank you. <laughs> See, you're young, and you've been married very long, but you'll come to a day when you'll say, Marcus, how was your day? And then I'll say... Good, had a boy. Uh, all right, so here's the thing. What are we going to do with that, Maddie? Because the Lord's remembered all Jack's sins, and if he remembers all Jack's sins, then isn't he going to... Uh, he's re- yes, <laughs> one possibility. Um, and then the question of, he, of if, he, if, he, if it remembers the third and fourth generations. Okay, so what are you going to do with that? Yeah, right. And what really gets you about that? I think I know what it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. Original sin is just about the most unfair thing that you can think about. Right? Why is original sin unfair? Because we didn't do it, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're still going to get punished for it. So for us, un- original sin is about the most unfair thing that you can you can think about because you didn't do it, and there's nothing to do about it, and you're still going to get punished for it. Okay. So let me just ask you. Uh, so we'll go easier first. Let's forget about original sin for a moment. We'll just put that on the shelf. Let's just talk about actual sins. Okay. Um, you who have had children. Um, is there anything that you've ever done that you think may impact your child for life? 
And, but their therapist has been hearing about it since they're 20. Yes, right. So, so here's the thing. I mean, in one sense, it's very easy. If you, if you drink too much and you're always abusive to your kids, they carry that with them the rest of the go. If you are never respectful of your spouse, they carry that with You've trained them how to be married to their own spouse. If you neglect them as children, they neglect their own children. I mean, this is not in every case, but if you have alcoholism in your family, you know, that can trickle down to... Now, and Marcus used a great example. He said, um, we, we talked a little bit about this, about this later. He said, if I know that um, I have a lot of alcohols in my family, when I have everybody to my house for Christmas Day, what do I do? Exactly. Because why? Because I remember people's weaknesses and sins. See? So there's a, there's a difference. Somebody, I think it was Holly who said it very early. There's a, there's a real difference between remembering sins. So another thing that Pastor Nelson said, he said to the guys, he said, wow, he said, if that's true, the golden calf is still in the New Testament. How'd that get in there? Well, apparently, 2,000 years later, they still remember the day that they had an idol. Why do they remember that? They remember it so they won't do it again, Right? So there is a way that memory, the best thing that can happen out of your sins, there's a way, in fact, there's a prayer in the prayer book. Let the, let the memory of my sins be so repulsive that, you know. So here's the thing. I might be cruel to my son or my daughter, and they might forgive me, but it's important for me to remember how cruel I can be so that I never do it again. And that means, even though that sin's forgiven, it becomes, for me, actually a valuable thing. So if you're an alcoholic, you remember how it was the last time you drank, and you say, if I do this, I know a horrible life's going to be, or just pick something, right? Just pick something. Here's the thing, though. If it's not repented of, it does sort of carry on. And you know families where grandfather is like father, is like son, is like son-to-be. Upon the fathers, the children. So, so there's at least a natural progression of that. Whether the Lord um, also actively punishes people two or three generations down, you know, I'm not sure I can point to an instance of it. However, in some ways, he doesn't have to. Because if you don't act like a Christian, I mean, part of this is what we don't understand is when we don't act like Christians, we damage people, not just ourselves, and not just people around us, we damage people for generations, right? Think about how you act in your, in your family. Think about how you act in your church. If you act like an idiot, you can damage, just take a church for a good example. I knew a place where they were trying to put the pastor out. The bishop's counsel was, you can put the pastor out, but you'll damage this church for the next 10 years. Okay? When you have a big blow up in a church, what happens? It's a huge anti-marketing campaign, and why would anybody come to church? Right? Why would they come? Who wants that kind of a church, you see? Or why would anybody want to be in your family? Why would anybody want to have Christmas at your house, right? I mean, who needs it? Who, who needs to be irritated? There's enough irritation in life itself. So I think it cuts it a whole bunch of ways. So, okay, so simplified. Okay, here's where we've been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in love, authority, order, and submission. Constant, and all those things fit together as joy, as perfection. Okay, I know we don't think that way, but that's actually order, discipline, obedience, submission, love, community, 
and being fully what you are are all the same thing, okay? When they love so much that they create, not because they have to, but because they want to extend the love. So when they make one more person or two, they tell the new creation how to live together, okay? Now, when the new creation chooses to have a go on their own, and all these things, love, order, authority, obedience, community, are shattered by disobedience, nothing works, and then to restore that, all those things, Christ comes, he embodies in flesh and blood the Trinitarian life. So what once was invisible only in the Trinity, Jesus walks on earth for three years to explain, and of course the result of that is that we kill him, right? <laughs> so it's, it's the fall from the Garden of Eden again, right? And then the outside of that is the resurrection, and the, const and the Eucharist then is a constant chance again and again and again to live in love, to be fully human, to live in community, to receive love, obedience, care, order, you know, name the fruits of the Spirit as the Trinitarian life. And you can either say, thank you very much for that, which would be to have it as your friend, right? Or you can say, um, I'm just going to try to keep continuing to be God. And if you try to continue to be God, you're on your own, and you not only punish yourself, but your contemporaries and your whole line forever and ever, kind of amen. How's that? That's right. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, thank you very much. So what what your what your goal in life is is to always push people on to the next that good thing right? To make them more rejoicing in the gifts and not to... So, go ahead. And then what we have to do is try to tend ourselves so we diminish our mistakes, so that we try not to make We're going to make them in 30 years. You know, I mean, people are going to look back and say, they'll say that exact that same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do actually. But hopefully, hopefully what will happen is we can have a smaller pool of things. It's very easy to be critical of other people. It's very easy to say 30 years ago, if they'd have only, you know, if they'd have only. And in 30 years, people are going to say that about us, if they'd have only. But if we could sort of, at least in our own time, we can't be perfect, but we can try to diminish our mistakes and we can try to live in forgiveness. We can try to love each other. We can try to be fully human. We can try to be fully a community. And here's the, here's the, here's the great bonus. Whatever happens in this community, here's what nobody can say, that we didn't tell you how to do that. 
I mean, we've, we've told you, now, have we done it well? Have we done it properly? Was it too strong? Was it too weak? Was it the right time? I mean, people can always say what they want, but basically what we've said to you for a decade is live the Eucharistic life. Live the life of Christ. Live in the image of Christ. Receive Christ's gifts. Let those gifts have its way with you. Be generous. Be merciful. Be winsome. Be kind. Tend your souls. I mean, we've said it. Acts of mercy. Care, you know, um, and care of the soul, winsome witness. We've talked about this ad nauseum, really. I mean, to, but what we're trying to do is to build a rhythm where that's just the natural thing that people do. It's just the natural thing. Yes, okay, so just push that a little bit. It is, in fact, um, very hard. Let's just take, you know, let's just take our current circumstance. I'll just give you a little pop quiz here, okay? So, you know, we've had a, we have dust up or two in the past couple of years. Let me just ask you um, whether the people who've hurt you come to mind. Let me just ask you that first. I'm not asking you to say anything. In fact, I don't want you to say anything. I just, or take any aspect of your life. You don't want to take St. John, take your family, Take your work life. Let me just ask you, do the people who have hurt you still come to mind? So just think about that, okay? Uh, good. If the answer is no, that's great, but just, just take this. Okay, then the next thing is, is ask yourself how frequently they come to mind, okay? It's like when you pop up in the morning, is it the first thing that you think about? Okay? Just, I'm just asking. You know, so do people who have wronged you still come to mind? How Frequently do they come to mind? And then the third thing would be, when they come to mind, what do you do with that? Okay. Yes, please. That's the other side of the coin, and that's actually a very valuable thing. That's what we're doing on Sunday morning. We're actually trying to get people to be reflective about how they've hurt other people as well. You can ask the very same questions, okay? So here's the thing. I mean, so, okay, if you want to frame it that way, it's very valuable. Let's think about that. When you wake up in the morning, do you still think about the way that you've hurt people, right? Okay. okay. And do you think about, um, and how frequently does that come to you? For example, is there something that you've done in your life that I'm not asking to not answer? I'm not asking, okay? I'm posing a broad question to all of you. Do your sins come to mind? How frequently do they come to mind? And when they come to mind, what do you do with them? So here's the deal. You have to somehow interrupt both of those flows. If you don't interrupt that, if you don't interrupt that habit, that cycle, if you don't interrupt that, consciously interrupt it, it will drive you mad. It will leave you bitter. It will destroy you. You know, this great definition of hate is drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. You know? So the key is you need to interrupt for yourself. So this would come under loving yourself. To love yourself, you need to interrupt that cycle. And to love other people, you need to interrupt that cycle. How do you do that? Okay, so it's how do you do that? First, when the person comes to mind, you ask yourself, you can actually do the stuff we've done this morning. You can ask yourself a very simple question. When they come to mind, do you count them as a friend or do you count them as a foe? Okay, so here's the best thing I learned this week, which will be in the bulletin for you on Sunday. Um, everything true can be reduced to simplicity. 
So there's going to be a, a bit from a sermon by David Scayer where he says, Jesus has no enemies. Okay, now here's the thing. That goes on a comment from John Kleinig um, when he spoke here last year when he said, no man is my enemy. I've been puzzling about that for a year. No man is my enemy. You, what you need to know about John is, John is probably one of the two or three most brilliant theologians I've ever met. And five years ago, he was up on heresy charges in Australia. Um, heresy charges, which is the ultimate irony for a guy who's, he's, the most, he's one of the two or three most faithful Christians I've ever known. And um, of course, but what do evil people do to faithful people? They bring them up on heresy charges. So his last 10 years has been dominated. He was utterly and fully exonerated, but it took 10 years of his life, which is what evil does. It interrupts people. I mean, it can go the other way, too. Evil interrupts people who are trying to do good. I mean, one of the things St. John will have to answer for in the final judgment is all the people who are not catechized, communed, baptized over the last three years when we didn't think about anybody but ourselves. That's something that St. John will have to You'll all have to answer for that. I will, too. Because we've wasted three years of our collective lives on trivial nonsense, on lies. We've wasted three years of our life on that. Okay? I, I've got to come to you, Karen. Hold on. Um, so how do you interrupt? How do you interrupt the cycle? So you ask yourself when a person comes to mind, do I take them as a friend or as a foe? You may not take them as a foe. Why? Because Jesus has no enemies. Jesus has no enemies. Now, I'm kind of, Jesus has no enemies. If you live the Christ life, you can have no enemies. So if you have no enemies, so first they comes to mind, then the frequency with which they come to mind, actually it's okay if they come to mind every day that you might bless them, but if they come to mind every day and you curse them, then you need to interrupt the cursing of them. How do you interrupt the cursing of them? How do you interrupt the cycle? Pray for them. So one way is you pray for them. You don't pray for their demise. You pray for their blessing. You pray for their repentance. You pray for their forgiveness. You pray for them to join you in heaven. You pray for them to be at the Eucharist. You pray not in a way that they'd be destroyed. You pray for them that the Lord will have his way with them. And if he has no enemies, his way with them is to love them and bless them and forgive them and have them near. So they come to mind. You say, friend or foe? friend. So how do you pray for your friends? You pray for their blessing, right? And then what will happen? Um, frankly, you'll, the foes will, your foes will stop, the people you identify as your foes will stop coming to mind so frequently. frequently. Or if they do come to mind, you'll, your, your habitual response to them now will be to bless them rather than to curse them. And so you've interrupted the cycle and you've replaced it with a cycle. You've re replaced the cycle of cursing with the cycle of blessing. Does that make sense? Okay. So you can hate no one. And so in the same, that's the same sermon. It's actually a brilliant sermon. He says two of the best things I've ever heard, which is Jesus has no enemies. And if you're a Christian, expect nothing in return. So you can expect nothing in return as a Christian. Which is, you know, not the way we normally talk, but okay, expect nothing in return. I'm going to come to you, Karen. Can you hold it? Hold your, hold your idea. Go ahead. How does it fit with? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. 
Yes, right. So you have a friend who hurts you. You want them as a friend. Uh, they insist on being a... Yes, right. Right. Good. Right. So how do you do that? Right. Restored. Right. Um, it's in the gospel for this week. There'll be three possibilities in the gospel. For, there'll be at least two possibilities for heresy charges in my sermon for Sunday, and there are three possible examples. I've already identified them. Um, so here's the first place where people will react with heresy charges. Um, the example that goes to your example this week in the gospel is King Herod, who by rights, king of the Jews, should be welcoming Jesus as Messiah of the Jews. And instead, he spent his life like his father trying to kill Jesus. Okay? Jesus can't force him to believe. And Jesus can't force him to be forgiven. And Jesus can't force him to be king. And Jesus can't force him to be his friend. Now, immediately, um, some evangelical from Wheaton will um, write me this week after that sermon and say, uh, he'll pose the old question of, so Jesus can't make a boulder bigger than he can lift, which then is not to understand the nature of God. Jesus can't force Herod to believe because he won't, right? He chooses to act by grace with people, even Herod. So here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to appear. Herod is going to find him. Jesus is going to preach the kingdom of God. Herod's going to say, I'm going to kill you. So friendship broken. It should have been that. Jesus um, walks away. So he does all he does. He doesn't change. And eventually he walks away. Right. Well, you might like Jerusalem. The second example would be Jerusalem where he weeps. So there, there's going to be three possibilities in the gospel. One is to walk away, one is to weep, and one is to be reconciled. Your choice. Now here's the thing. Grace doesn't force, but grace, because we're on a timeline, grace doesn't... It's Romans chapter 2, verse 5, I think. Do you, you who are sinners, do you presume upon the righteousness of God? Do you think you can go on and sin and sin and sin? Or just in this case, do you think you can forever have a broken relationship and do you think that grace will always be there? And that's exactly what Paul says. Um, that's exactly what Paul says to um, unbelieving people in Romans. You think you can go on? You, you think you can just carry on um, and then grace will always be there? Guess what? At some point, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Do you presume upon the righteousness of Christ? The answer is no. At some point, honest to God, Jesus walks away. Um, he does it physically for Herod. Um, this is t Romans 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of his wealth of kindness, of his tolerance, of his patience, without recognizing that God's kindness has meant you to lead to change your heart? 
See? But Paul speaks to the person who refuses to be reconciled. So here's the thing. You have a friend, and your relationship gets broken, right? So now you're over here. You still want to be reconciled. Your friend does not want to be reconciled. Um, this is for your friend. Do you think that you, you think you can live? Now, you just have to go to this. Do you think you can live in a way that you're not fully human and you're not in full community and you still call yourself a Christian? Do you think you can do that? Can you still be King Herod? Can you still be King of Israel? if you won't accept the Messiah. And at some point, and see, the, the, it's so bitter with the Herod example because for Jesus, not to be Jesus, Herod will have to kill him. See, here's the thing. You can't, the, the dissonance is so great if you try to be in the church. If you try to be in the church and things break and you still try to be in the church, you actually have to kill this person to make it go away. That's the only way you can relieve the pressure. Which is why in the church, you might just watch for people who, when they get in a disagreement, mark the other person as an enemy and try to destroy them, as opposed to marking the other person as someone with whom they have a disagreement or someone who's in sin and try to restore them. Okay? It doesn't always work because Jesus can't make Herod believe and you can't Make a friend be reconciled to you. Right. No man is your enemy. No, no. And at some point you do have to move on because that's your other choice. So, so you have this person. It's broken. You can't move on in hate. You can move on. There's no place. Because in the gospel for this week, he moves on. And it's very interesting. What's the next thing he does? He weeps. Like, this is not the way life's supposed to be. I'm coming back to Jerusalem. This is the daughter of Zion. I'm going up to the temple. I'm going to fulfill all the prophecies. What should happen? What should happen? The king should be on his knees, welcoming him, and Jerusalem should open up and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does happen? The king says, I'm going to kill you, and Jerusalem turns a blind eye. So what does Jesus do? His two responses are, he walks away from Herod, and he weeps over the sadness of a broken relationship, okay? But he doesn't sin. In either of those things, he doesn't sin. So what you have to do is be able to walk away or weep without making the other person your enemy. Now, Herod is Jesus' enemy. I just want to be clear. But Herod is Jesus' enemy because Herod wants to be his enemy, needs to be his, makes himself Jesus' enemy, right? We've often, I am going to come to you, Karen, I promise. You've been extraordinarily patient. What you have to remember, we often describe for you baptism is being put into this thing that is bounded by the ten words, right? If somebody wants to live out here, being, and this is your kids, this is your husband, this is your wife, this is anybody. If somebody lives out here, that's, that's, that's horrible, and we grieve that. What you may not say is that this person is your enemy. You may not say that. You can't say that person, that person is not Christ's enemy. However, because this is the nature of Christ, he can't change and do this. He's not going to change. He, doesn't, he can't change that. So if this is what puts you outside here is a lie, right? Jesus isn't going to suddenly embrace a lie. He can't change his nature. His nature is truth, right? If this is death of some form, Jesus will not go outside. He does, that's not how he deals with death. 
He deals with death inside the divine nature. Make sense? Now, one of the problems you really have is, is that you feel terribly guilty about walking away from somebody. And you ter- yeah, and that's because... <clears throat> right. Right. So, and doubtless you will quote um, the parable about the one sheep who wanders off from the 99. Doubtless you will quote. On the other hand, um, I quote to you Jesus walking away from Herod. And um, honestly, the Ten Commandments on Sunday, as I said Sunday, I can't believe for you, not even for you, my wife. I can't believe for you. I can't love for you. I can't pray for you. I can't act for you. Every person, it's like this nonsensical thing that we have in the school that you have to come to be a member, you come three out of four times. That's a travesty. Because the biblical, what, what are we to, we, so we reduce God's word by 25% in order for a tuition break. What? And then people argue because they come halftime and they argue they're still a member. You're kind of going, what kind of madness is this? So the biblical command, if it's your foe, or word is, I'm going to meet you here every week for the Eucharist. Who are we to diminish that? So it's up to you to come to church. You don't like me as your pastor? Guess what? The third commandment still applies. You still come to church. You don't go to another church. You don't stay home. You don't stop giving. You don't figure out another because you're part of the community, you're part of the family. And the community is meant to work things out, not flee, right? And work it out on objective grounds over here, not on what I like or what you like, right? It's extraordinarily difficult, but the problem is, the danger in that (coughs) is that you'll be more religious than Jesus because Jesus does at times walk away. If we say we will never walk away, that's not Jesus. There's two places he walks away. He walks away with Herod. There's another place he's going to walk away. Where is he going to walk away? The last, where he tried to stone him, good. But also the last day. The last judgment is Jesus walking away. Right? So here's the thing. You can either be extraordinarily sad about that, or you can say, what would be your positive response? We probably should get busy living like a community. We should probably get busy living in forgiveness. We should probably get busy recognizing our own sins Sunday morning. We should probably get, get busy saying, I'm sorry. We should probably get busy forgiving. We should probably get busy interrupting our morning thing where people come up to our mind as our enemy, and we interrupt that by saying, no man is my enemy, and I'll pray for them, and I'm going to the Eucharist, and I'm hoping they're going to meet me there. So there's a positive flow out of this, and that's, that's what you have to concentrate on. Now, Karen, you've been extraordinarily patient. Right. If it doesn't happen to you? If it does happen or if it doesn't happen to you? If it doesn't happen to you, that, that's fantastic. Then just let your, just live, say your prayers and live your life. You don't, because here's the thing. It will eventually come to you. I Actually, I know you well enough to, so I can name a few people. I was going to be sassy. I can, okay, the, the guy who won't give you the free scooter. Friend or foe? Absolutely, okay. The guy who won't pay for you to go to a better place for care. Well, thank you very much. You want me to keep going? So here, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If you, with a, just a little self-examination, you can find it. They do, in fact, come. So you pray for the knucklehead who doesn't think you need a scooter. You know, you pray that he comes to some common scooter sense. Okay? So if you just do a little bit of, if you do a little bit of self-examination, it actually, it actually comes to you. It will come to you. Go ahead. 
much. Right. The reason we have to mark them one way or the other is because unlike Jesus, we have two reactions. When Jesus has a friend, what does he do? Embraces. When Jesus has a foe, what does he do? Embraces. Romans 5. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Okay. Now you, me, when we have a friend, what do we do? Embrace. When we have a foe, what do we do? Eh. Run, push, sin, swear, right? Okay, so all, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly, no, exactly. So what does that mean? That means that's the Christ life, which is, which is when you see friend or foe, they both get the same response. See a friend, pray for him. You see a foe, pray for him. See a friend, love him. See a foe, love him, right? Now we're all the way back to where we started, right? Yeah, but see, okay, but see, the thing is, is what an utterly law-minded statement from a pastor's <laughs> wife. So now your relationship is reduced to this for that, right? So, Rachel, I'm only going to love you if I'm sure you're going to love me back. Foe, foe, ah, 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 foe, right? See, that's, utter, that's utterly under the law. You see how easy it comes to us? So, Jeanette, I'm only going to love you if you do something that pleases me, right? Ah, the, this is going to be the sermon on Sunday. Yes, you come, to, you come and listen to what happens to Peter after his first communion. Okay, so you know what? Okay, here's the thing. Yeah, exactly. People are, that's exactly what's right. So, oh, and so you need to read the first margin comment this week. <laughs> actually, you know what? You're going to have to, you actually, 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 I, 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 there's, um, re, the margin comments will be like a serialized article. The opening margin comments for the next five weeks are exactly on that topic. First on forgiveness, you may have to wait all the way around to Palm Sunday to ask the injustice question, but, but because that's how, that, see, that's exactly how we feel, which is, this is not just. Okay, so what do Christians do with that? Okay, so here's the answer. Just for a couple of weeks, just for a couple of weeks, could you just not focus on the injustice thing? Could you just focus on the interruption of hatred? Just focus on that for a couple of weeks. Listen to the sermons, read the margin comments, Read the long bit from the Eighth Commandment, which nobody pays attention to, which will be under the... Everything is in there for a reason, okay? Wait for the injustice, because the injustice does, in fact, get worked out. And I'll give you the key in advance. The difference is, when you strive for justice, do you do that as hatred or as love? And it's very interesting. The last comment, so this will come clear on Palm Sunday, so I'll tell you now, because you'll forget by then. The last comment is a guy who was put... Um, by an author who was put into this is clear out in Palm Sunday the last comment is by an author who was put in a concentration camp in the Second World War and he said when I came out this is the most fascinating thing he said when I came out I was much more loving and forgiving than the people who were put to investigating the concentration camps who had never been in them. And he said, why is that? This is really interesting. He said, why is that? He said, because, and this completely goes to St. John, because he said, the imagination of ills is never ending. The sins we imagine about other people, the horrors that we imagine, he said, in their imagination, my horror was worse than it actually was. Now, it was terrible, because he's in a concentration camp, but he said, and so they became their imagination of sins perceived. And so for any idiot in this congregation who's ever said perception is reality, that is anti-Christ. He, uh, he said the imagination of sins perceived, he said imagination is so strong, kept them from being loving and forgiving because they didn't deal with reality. 
He said, I was in the concentration camp. I could deal with the reality. I know what people did to me. Okay? And I can forgive it. He said, but the people investigating it, why? Because they wanted justice. Right? Yeah. So, and he, and he talks then about, um, at some point, about why Desmond Tutu, the archbishop, was the guy put in charge of Truth and Justice Commission in South Africa and not a bureaucrat. Because only, only a bishop understands forgiveness. Right? I mean, this is, this is, here, this is all playing out in real time. Because this is, this is all about how to love people who have crossed you. And the first way to love them is to say, they're not my enemy. I will not destroy them. Right. Okay, so now what, do, now, what are you going to do? What do you do? So there's a word of warning for both sides. One is, the people who want to move forward may not move forward as they've moved forward the last 20 or 30 years because they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to love. They didn't know how to forgive. They don't know how to go nose to nose. They don't know how to keep confidence. They don't, they don't know Matthew 18. They don't know that no man is my enemy. So people who want to go forward have to go forward in a new way. They need to interrupt their hatred. Okay. People who want to continue to dust up need two things. They need a pastor to say to them, that's sinful. And you'll note the last, uh, one of the really interesting things that's happened. So I'm going to tell you, one of the really interesting things that's happened here, and this just happened to Pastor Nelson last week, where somebody says, you have no authority over me. I know this as well as you. You can't judge me or I'll judge you. And the answer is under the Eighth Commandment, you'll read where it says, you may not judge unless you're a magistrate or a pastor. Because pastors are put in position to judge. That's what they do. And what's happened in this whole thing, and even happened with AOR at some point, was they equalized the relationship, which means they shattered the order of the congregation, which means they brought the authority structure level, and they made everything a he said versus she said. I'll tell you, it even comes in the preaching. Proper preaching from a pastor says, you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's condescension to weakness of the congregation when a pastor says, we. Because the pastors are to speak in the stead of Christ. He's not there to speak about himself. So a proper sermon is you, blah, blah, blah. Here's the problem. People can't hear that. Because what, if I say, Joanne, you're you, blah, 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 what immediately you hear? Well, he thinks he's better than I am. No, because I'm speaking for Christ, not for my personal whatever, right? So what people have to hear again is there is judgment, but in judgment it is not we do not hope for anybody else's destruction. And that's the game changer. Because this whole thing at St. John was lined out as an all or nothing, destroy your enemy. That's how the game was set from the beginning. For the first time since I was here in 13 years, this is the first and only time we've, the, the question has been set as, it's us versus you and we will destroy you. It's all or nothing. Okay? And that was the sin. The sin wasn't whether we should have a school or not have a school, whether we have multi-age classrooms, don't have multi-age classrooms, whether we have tuition or no tuition. That wasn't the, none of that matters. You can have any combination of that. The sin was, I will have my way, and if you don't give me my way, I will destroy you, and I will use anything I have to destroy you. I will lie about you, you know, I will undercut you, I will rally against you, I will destroy you. That was, that was the sin. And so that's to make people foe, and you have to come back from that. So you can't have anybody as your enemy. You can't destroy them. Make sense? You need to watch for that when people want to destroy each other. That's how you know it's gone wrong. People can disagree about all kinds of things. 
but you can't hate other people and destroy them. Pick your sin for any sin. You cannot identify a person and say, I want to destroy you, because that's not what Christ tries to do. He never tries to destroy other people. And that has been the problem with the Missouri Senate for the last, ever since the, ever since the break, however many years, the people who were in leadership, the way the game was played on both sides was you identify the enemy and you destroy them. Well, I will destroy you. And that's the politics that everybody older than me has learned. And it's actually now, you want to go third and fourth generation? People had very strong, involved Lutheran parents who were my age or lower. They clicked into that mode, or they do click into that mode whenever there's church problems. So you want to talk about third and fourth generation? Here's what you have to, you have to, you, you have to level the notion that people are my foe and I'm going to destroy you. You have to bring up the notion that no man is my foe. We love everybody. That doesn't mean we tolerate everything. It doesn't mean we tolerate injustice. But it does mean that we'll call wrong, wrong, and right, right, and still love each other and be fully human, be fully community. See how it all works? Right. Right. All right. So that's the same thing I gave it. So the person appears. Okay, you have to say to yourself, is the person friend or foe? Friend. How do I help a friend who's sinning? I tell them their sin, not from my personal opinion, but I tell them their sin from scripture. If they won't listen, I go get a pastor to help me tell them their sin. And if they won't listen, you tell it to the church. That could take a couple of years. What you don't do is let people continue to sin. It's like people who are really sick they have a separate, we ever been to a doctor's office, we have a separate waiting room? Yeah, they have to go in a separate waiting room. That's right. Because the sins of the fathers were, we've never, we had the destroy mentality, and we never had the nose to nose. If you, if you, if I sin against you, and I, even as my wife, if I sin against you, and you talk to one of these people before you talk to me about it, you've sinned. If you, the very first question when somebody says, you're a sinner, Maddie, if you, if you say anything, young Ziegler there, if I do something and you talk to her before you talk to me, the sin is yours. And your proper response is, have you talked to him about it? You have to do this. In fact, I was with a pastor this week who said, oh, I, was, I played golf with one of your members, and he said about the fourth hole, he started to go off on you about St. John. And, I, and he said, by the fifth hole, I'd said to him, have you talked to your pastor yet? And the guy said, no. And he said, well, I guess we won't be talking about that anymore. He said, he said, it, was a he said it was a very chilly turn to the clubhouse. But I mean, there, I mean, there's a guy who's faithful, right? So we know how to do it. It's that we won't do it, right? We won't do it. So we need to start to do it. Because if we start to do it, what will happen is it'll be Christological life, and sins will you know, reduce themselves. They'll melt down, and people will love each other. It all has to do with whether or not you engage a person who sins against you as friend or foe. Right? You, you embrace them as friend. It's horrible. Yeah, you do. Yeah, there are. I would just caution you about the walking away thing. Yes, there are. Jesus, Jesus works for three years, though. Jesus works for three years before he walks away from Herod. Long time. Right. Right. Exactly. And at some point, you have to build a wall and move on. Because why? Just take the last three years of St. John. Since, like, November of 07, we've done nothing in terms of anybody else in the world but ourselves. 
I mean, at some point we're the church. The church is about bringing new people into the church, right? So, I mean, there are blessings. We have about the biggest new members class we ever had. I think we're going to have 50. Do you believe we can bring in 50 new members in the middle of this? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a gift from God. But, uh, you know, just keep going. All right. <clears throat> No, that was actually, you got to, here's the thing. We can talk about anything you want. My, uh, you know, I have it, it's all in my head. I'm happy to talk about it, but I'm not going to impose it on you unless you ask. But if you ask, I'm happy to talk to you about it. You need, I know it is. But it was actually, actually, if you wouldn't have, if you wouldn't have asked them. Here's the thing, though. You need to practically be able to do this. You need to interrupt the evil. So a person, uh, just, just so you know how to do this, a person comes to mind, ask yourself if you identify them as friend or foe, if you identify them as foe, you have to do some work on your own, okay? If you identify them as your foe, as in you hate them, as opposed to Christ hates that, that, uh, that Christ is against that sin. So Christ, so you identify them as friend or foe. In each case, you give them the law and gospel job, and then you move on, right? It's important to do this. Questions still? Go ahead. If you have to go, you can go. If anybody has to go, you can go. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the thing. So what? It, not so. Let's just let's just do a little risk reward here. You know, let's just do a little risk reward. So, what's the greater possibility for damage that you might misquote God and things might get a little jumbled up, or that um, you never talk to somebody and the sin just carries on to the third and fourth generation? I take the first. I understand, but he's gone the other way for sure. This is certain death. Not to be rebuked is certain death. That's absolutely fine. So there's this great warning to preachers, I think in Jeremiah 20, where he says, I've made you a pastor, I've made you a prophet. If you go and tell them and they don't repent, it's on them. But if you never go, it's on you, and I will punish you deeply. Every pastor lives with that. So my job is to say what's true. That's your job, frankly, too, as a Christian. Your job is to say what's true and let the Holy Spirit go to work. And if we basically, if we start worrying about who's going to get it right and how we're going to do it, I think you're probably Bible study two weeks ago when I talked about this towards the end of pastors. Hey, everybody jumbles it up. So we're forgiven and the Holy Spirit still goes to work. So, you know, I understand it. The other thing is, when you get a little experience with it, it'll go more easily. One of our problems with this is we never do it. One of the problems of confession absolution, we never do it. We act like we're holy all the time in our own lives. So when I have to come to you and say, I'm really sorry I lied about you, that's like the biggest thing on your calendar in February. Here's the thing. I lie about you every day. So probably what I should be doing is coming to you every day, or at least remember you at the Eucharist every day, right? But what's our problem? We're so pietistic, and we think we don't have any sins. So when we finally have to go confess a sin... It's such a big deal, as opposed to that 95 thesis, all you Lutheran types. What's the very first, very first of the 95 thesis? An entire the Christian's life is a life of repentance. We daily sin and deserve nothing but punishment. It's all over the Catechism, but of course, gosh, we couldn't live a Wheaton if we actually admitted that we had sins. Ah, right. So get some practice. Let's say you just got to get some practice, and that Maddie would be actually if we could get some practice we'd be a different kind of church. You want to talk about being a different kind of church? Let's get some practice at this. 
no. I could just keep going. But I, you know. Yeah, rats, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, right. <laughs> if it depended on you, nobody would ever, nobody would ever get saved. Yeah, same with me. If it depended on me. So don't appeal to the person, including yourself. It's a, it's a pietism you don't have to worry about. It's, an, it's too much piety. It's being more religious than Jesus. I mean, get your lines right. Say your prayers. Do your best. Don't go to it sloppily, but give it a try. Our problem is that we don't even give this a try. Why is it so hard? We never grow up doing it. You know? You've got to be dragged by the ear by your teacher to say, you know, you're sorry to the kid you punch in the nose in the playground. You punch him, he starts to bleed. You should probably say, I'm sorry, before the authorities get there. Right? Just get used to it. Just practice. All right, just stay hopeful. Um, you'll have to return for the second heresy. You'll actually have to come to church. I won't give you that one in advance. So um, Lord, next week, uh, Psalm 136, okay? Next week, Psalm 136. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, see you next week.